Welcome to the Insights Podcast by the UNSW Law Society. The production team would like to begin by acknowledging the Gadigal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is made, and pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. This episode is sponsored by White and Case, an international law firm dedicated to helping clients work with confidence in one market or across many. The firm guides its clients through difficult issues using innovative approaches to create original solutions to complex domestic and multi-jurisdictional deals and disputes. White and Case lawyers are recognized for their legal innovation and outstanding services to clients worldwide. Today, we're joined by two such people, Sue Choi and Ruben McGregor-Sumter from the litigation team. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, we'll start off, um, let's rewind, uh, rewind a bit and go back to the, uh, the beginning. Why did you guys choose to study law? Well, mine's a bit of a bit more of a long-winded story. I actually didn't originally choose to study law. I tried to get into med school. Um, so I grew up in NZ and uh, went down the med school route and did a Bachelor of Health Sciences for my first year. Got about halfway through that and um, absolutely was not on track, but also was not enjoying it. Um, and so ended up finishing up that first year and then needing to decide what I was going to do. Um, at school, I had definitely done a lot more like humanities, um, history, English, economics type subjects. Um, so law was kind of the natural fit from there. Um, and so I had a crack at that my second year, um, did pretty well, ended up getting in um, and went down that path. And here we are. Yeah, so ironically, Ruben and I are both Kiwis. So I also grew up in Auckland. Um, I think I didn't really choose law at first, like when you're 17 and kind of picking what to do at uni, no one really knows what they're doing. But I found that I enrolled in an arts law degree and a couple of years in, I was really starting to enjoy it, particularly once I started working in the legal field and you're kind of seeing the things that you were doing at uni being applied in practical situations and made everything a lot more real and feel a lot more fulfilling to me. And that's why I kind of decided to stick with it and, you know, see my law degree through. And I've really enjoyed it since. Definitely, yeah. And how did you guys end up at uh, White and Case doing what you do now? Yeah, so my path again was a bit um, more long-winded than others. So yeah, again, grew up in NZ and studied at Auckland Uni. Um, and uh, it's a little bit different in NZ, it seems, where it's quite common for people to move out of home and go um, to a uni not in their local city. Um, so I had always planned on going to Dunedin um and studying down there but sort of last minute ended up staying at home and staying in auckland um and i think because of that i got sort of halfway through my degree and was pretty ready for a change um the new zealand market's a little bit different again to australia in the sense that um auckland is by far the dominant like for professional services most of the graduate jobs are in auckland um you've obviously got some government stuff in wellington but by and large auckland is a by far the biggest market and so um in in being ready for a change i kind of didn't want to go anywhere else in new zealand um and a couple of my best friends had come over here to study a couple melbourne a couple of sydney um and one of the ones in melbourne was doing a jd there and he suggested you know why don't i apply for a bunch of clerkships over here um so i went in the full scattergun approach and applied for both melbourne and sydney um and basically applied for everywhere. Um, I got, I was originally interviewed by a partner in the Sydney office, Joel, but for Melbourne. Um, and that went okay. And then 
I ended up coming to Sydney for um, some second round interviews and a like, couple of cocktail events and whatnot and um, actually reached out to Joel while I was here and said, look, I'm in Sydney, let's grab a coffee. Um, and through the course of that, he said, you know, why don't you think about Sydney? And the appeal for me at that point was um, Sydney was kind of more of a guaranteed job. Um, you do the one clerkship, you're more likely to get a job, whereas Melbourne was three, you know, there's a bit less, but more of a lottery. Um, and I also had friends here. So th- the difference between Melbourne and Sydney was not um, not too much of a decision. Um, and so I took the clerkship here, did the clerkship, really enjoyed it, um, went back to New Zealand and did a clerkship there, but had the grad offer here and just so decided to come back here. Yeah, so I think I guess my story is a little bit more straightforward. I just finished my LLB at Sydney Uni um, a couple of months ago. And so about a year and a half out from graduating, I applied for the winter clerkship here in Sydney. So we do our clerkships in the Sydney office in June or July, unlike a lot of other firms. Um, so I did my four-week clerkship completely online at the start of our very long Delta lockdown from my bedroom was really fun um but met a lot of people had a really good time actually really enjoyed that i clocked on the project finance team and then six months later i came back as a paralegal um in the disputes team so i've been doing that ever since and i'll be coming back as a grad next year sounds good and um you mentioned that you applied for many clerkships was there anything that drew you to white and case specifically or anything that made the firm special yeah i think the appeal for me was like coming over from New Zealand, I obviously like like the international aspect was interesting to me. Um, I was kind of looking, I was already looking to move and the idea of um, sort of having more international opportunities was something that appealed for me coming from New Zealand where you, like you don't have international firms. There's DLA are there now, um, Minters have an office, but otherwise it's all quite domestic. So that sort of international appeal definitely stood out. Um, otherwise I liked that it was small um i to to me the appeal of going into a big firm and being one of you know 100 graduates um wasn't all that exciting i liked having that proximity to um seniors in the team i liked the idea of going to work and kind of knowing everyone in the office even if you're not working with them directly um and in my head that was going to give me better opportunities I think definitely everything Ruben said, I second throughout my experience here. That's all definitely rung true. I think one of the main reasons that I applied was that very international aspect of the firm. And I think it's something that, you know, like every firm kind of advertises and says like, well, really international, we'll have opportunities. But I think the reality is that White & Case has a kind of unique connection between offices in which the structure of the firm makes it very easy for you to work with other offices or to move <laughs> around Um and have lots of different experiences, particularly the firm, even aside from having international offices, is doing a lot of very international work. Like there's a lot of arbitration work um, that's happening in the disputes team. Um, So that was something that really, really stood out to me. And aside from that, I applied and originally clerked in project finance, particularly because of the renewable energies work that was happening at the firm, especially in the APAC region. That was something that I found really appealing and I thought would be pretty interesting and also valuable in the long term. Um, But I've very pleasantly found that, you know, coming here, one of the great perks of working here is that the firm has really great international name value, but the Australian branch is still relatively young. 
So you do get a lot of say in terms of how the office is being shaped or how the culture grows. Um, and I think it's a really unique experience, particularly early on in your career, to work with a lot of people who are at this level but are a lot younger as well. Like I know in comparison to other firms, kind of like age demographic of the firm is a little bit lower in some ways, mm. particularly in Australia. And I think it makes for a very kind of nurturing and, you know, casual but also very professionally rewarding workplace as well. Definitely, yeah. Um, and uh, you mentioned both of you guys went through the clerkship application process for White and Case. Could you run us through what that was like? Do you have any advice or insights to anybody going through the same thing? Yeah. So I, th- I guess like kind of just to run through the, the nuts and bolts of the situation. So the way that the clerkship application typically works for us um, is that there'll be, you know, like an online application where you'll put through like a cover letter and a CV and maybe answer a few questions. Um, once you progress from that stage, you might do some psychometric testing. I'm not sure if that's still a thing. Um, and then if you're invited back for interviews, you'll interview with two partners. Um, I found the process to be really, really smooth, actually. So one of the really good things that I found with White and Case was that once you get an invitation to come back and interview with the partners, they'll actually connect you with someone at the firm as an interview buddy. And so you have an opportunity before you come and interview with the partners to kind of ask about the firm a little bit more ask about what the people you're going to be speaking to are like. And it's much more of kind of informal conversation than I think what you might get um, at other points in the experience. So I felt pretty well supported throughout. And then when I came into interview, I actually also interviewed with Joel as my first interview. He's a partner in project finance here. And then subsequently with Kate, who Kate Paramol, who is um, one of the disputes partners in Sydney. And both of those conversations were like surprisingly very casual like we just had a chat for like half an hour 40 minutes like asked about their careers we had a chat about my interests it was a very wide-ranging conversation yeah. i think um the kind of biggest piece of advice i'd give is like just come in with an open mind and don't try and like i don't think like don't be overly prepared you want to be prepared but i think what's more important obviously in this experience is to make a genuine connection with the person you're speaking to and i think that's something that really can't be undervalued Yeah, my experience was slightly different just by virtue of um, I was one of the first, like I was part of the first intake of clerks they'd ever done. So the Sydney office has only just just gone five years old. Um, And so myself and another associate who is now in London, Kian, um, we were the first two clerks in the Sydney office. So my process was a lot more informal. I think from memory, it was like applied with a CV um, and... I don't think there was any psychometric testing and then I, I did my interview virtually because I was an NZ and then um, when I happened to be over here for other Sydney interviews um, they brought forward my second interview just because I was here um, and that was super informal again um, and at that point I don't think White and Case were doing the um, subscribe to like the rules as such like it was on its own they kind of did their own time frame um so yeah the whole the whole thing was pretty relaxed um super conversational um but yeah like i said it's probably by virtue of it being the first time they'd basically done it um so yeah sue's experience is definitely more relevant now to kind of segue into today's topic um could you explain to viewers that don't know what commercial litigation is exactly and what would a lawyer who practices in that field be expected to do yeah, good question. Um, <clears throat> so 
commercial litigation is effectively helping clients navigate um, disputes and in inverted commas that they um, that they may have. And I say disputes and in inverted commas because you can have um, there's kind of a life cycle of disputes. So you can have early stage sort of strategy advice pieces on how to navigate certain issues um, all the way through to your kind of long running arbitrations or um, court disputes. Um, And so our role kind of sits along that life cycle. Um, So generally here at Widen Case, we have um, our clients kind of sit in two buckets. We have like domestic infrastructure clients and a lot of that work comes from the big projects that our front end guys do. Um, and then in the other bucket, we get a lot of more general commercial litigation and that comes often comes from the global network. So clients that we have overseas that have some sort of issue arising in Australia. Um, the work between the two can differ quite a bit um, because the, the project stuff um, the project infrastructure stuff is often um, is often avoid disputes at all costs. You're trying to get a project built. So if you end up in court, something has generally gone very, very wrong and the project is probably in jeopardy. Um, so so often the, the work we do in that sense is somewhat more commercial, I would say, to oversimplify it, um, versus the stuff with the commercial litigation that would be more likely to be in the courts. Um, so I'm working on a few matters at the moment and more on the commercial litigation bucket and they're all currently in the courts in some capacity. Yeah, I think that pretty much covers it. I think that pretty much covers it. I think someone, I can't remember who it was, said very simply to me when I started in the team, like, we basically get involved when things go wrong, <laughs> which I think pretty much sums it up. <laughs> And as a paralegal working within commercial litigation, what does a day look like for you? Yeah, so I guess it's a little bit different to what Ruben's doing, obviously a more junior role, um, and it's more of a support role than anything else. Um, it tends to be a little bit ad hoc, so I'll come in in the morning and there might be a kind of range of different tasks that might need to be done that day, and it can be anything from like research work for, you know, like an ongoing court proceeding, we're trying to figure out how a particular law might work or something like that. Um, to like document review if we've just received like discovery orders or something, um, to like putting together court bundles for a barrister. So there's a big range of stuff. I think that um, one of the really great things about working in a slightly smaller firm is that that range of stuff is a little bit wider than what you might get somewhere else. Um, And I found that especially when I was clerking, you do get a little bit more like autonomy as well at this level, interestingly. So there's uh, a couple of big pro bono um, efforts, you know, all year round at the firm. And for example, when I was a clerk, like I was getting to do research for that or um, to draft a letter for a pro bono matter and you'd get a little bit more autonomy and leeway than you would um, on a client matter, for example. But you do get to do quite a few different things, I think, during your time as a clerk and paralegal. Definitely, yeah. And um. I understand that neither of you did commerce as a degree at uni. Um, given that commercial litigation in the name typically involves business disputes or things of that kind of within that sphere, would you say that a commerce degree is essential to get a foot in the door or does it like help? I would say 
no i don't know what you think reuben but um i did as far a thing from a commerce degree as you could do because i did an english literature degree um i think it's definitely good to be commercially aware and i think that's something that firms look for as you know we do as do all other firms um that being said i don't think necessarily having like a formal commerce background is necessary to do commercial litigation yeah i would completely agree i a bachelor of health sciences so i was doing like population health um which couldn't be further again from what i'm currently doing um i'd echo what sue says in the sense that you you do you do need a bit of like you need a bit of footing in commerce right but um what we are doing is not um like modeling businesses and spreadsheets like my housemates always give me um rubbish for saying like i'm effectively incompetent when it comes to excel and living with like a banker and a management consultant. Um, So I absolutely am not like all over business 101. Um, But in saying that the clients were, clients obviously expect a high level of like commercial knowledge and um, that is reflected across the team. Um, But a lot of that is learnt on the job, I would say. Um, some people in the team will have postgraduate study, um, others will have commerce degrees, but um, the fundamental like aspect of our job is not business, it's law. Um, so whilst whilst you do have to have a base level of commerce, commercial sort of awareness, um, a lot of it you will pick up on the job. And I think that's, that's one of the things I've liked about litigation is... Um, you end up in subject matters or subject areas which are somewhat discrete so for example i've worked in um i've worked on say an energy dispute i didn't have a particular amount of knowledge of the energy industry but you dive in you learn about that subject matter and you learn more than enough to carry you through that dispute and the same will be again you might end up in a tech dispute you learn more than enough about the the tech area that you're in to get you through that dispute and then you move on. So whilst you do, I do think you need that base level of commercial knowledge. It's, I mean, I have a Bachelor of Health Sciences, so um, you're definitely able to pick it up on the job 100%. Yeah, I think like going to what Ruben said, like ultimately you're using like legal skills to achieve commercial outcomes and those commercial outcomes are always going to be grounded in like the particular context of that client's field or the nature of the dispute. And so it's always going to be couched in that kind of base issue of it is a legal dispute and that's fundamentally what it's about. You're trying to achieve some kind of commercial objective for them, but that also is very much heavily contextualized and you get to learn a lot of different things by working across a lot of different issues and areas. And I think the other thing about our job is like we engage, we engage experts. So in any field of a dispute, we're not expected to know, for example, the rail freight industry. We're not expected as lawyers to know in depth the rail freight industry, but we will brief experts and our clients will pay for experts to understand those those certain black subject matters. And they will support us in our development of our case and the development of our evidence. So to the extent there is a gap in knowledge, it's a super common practice for us to brief experts as well. Uh, you both mentioned that you're exposed to a lot of subject matters within commercial litigation. And I guess it's kind of hard to realize that before you practice. So was there anything that kind of drew you towards 
commercial lit- uh, litigation as a field. So Whiting Case runs on a, the graduate program, program is three six month rotations. Um, so I did um, corporate m and I did um, disputes and I did um, front end projects, so project delivery. Um, and so I got a flavor of all three. I actually, when I rocked up here, I thought I was going to be an M&A lawyer. Um, I'd done M&A in New Zealand. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the people I worked with. Um, and so I was all set to be an M&A lawyer. Um, and ironically, absolutely did not think I'd be a disputes lawyer. Um, I remember I got my email from HR before I started and they said, oh, you know, your first rotation is going to be in litigation. And I was like, damn it. I, didn't, I was hoping to avoid litigation. Um, but I, six months is a long period of time to get into one of the rotations and you definitely get a good sense of what the work actually is. Um, and I liked the... Um, I liked the responsibility you get in litigation. I liked the being able to dip your toes into different subject matters. Um, but I think mostly I enjoyed like what the kind of thinking that litigation demands. Um, so you've got a lot more scope for sort of, um, crafting an argument like big picture strategy, taking a step back and going, okay, so you've got these facts here, you've got this law here, how do we craft that into a position that advances our client's agenda effectively? So there's an aspect of sort of um, creativity and um, imagination that I think is probably less so in the front end stuff. Um, and I like the ver- the variety in litigation. So um, I'm sure some of my front end colleagues will completely disagree with me but i found some of the front end work um was a bit repetitive you're doing a same deal um there's obviously it's obviously a lot more complicated than this again they'll jump down my throat but um you're doing a deal that you know will be on different terms but it's a somewhat similar um area whereas litigation you're jumping from um you know potentially an arbitration to uh, Supreme Court lit- litigation through to a discrete piece of advice in three different subject matters um, and three different timelines um, and it's all very varied the work you're doing within all three so um, that was the sort of the main appeal for me yeah I think um, for me it's a little bit different because to be honest I didn't really choose to end up in disputes so uh, the way that it works with uh, coming back as a paralegal after <laughs> you um Clark is that you know you're going to come back as paralegal but where you go will depend on obviously where people are needed and when I was when it was time for me to come back they needed paralegals and disputes so I ended up here so I kind of didn't really know what I was getting myself into or you know what the work would be like but I've been here like 10 months now and like honestly I've just really enjoyed it and I think part of it is you know what Ruben mentioned about you're getting to be involved in this big picture kind of strategy building obviously that's not something I'm directing as a paralegal but you get the simultaneous experience of seeing that and then also seeing the really detailed kind of niche technical aspects of the law that you're having to work with um but I think what has been probably most enjoyable for me is like you're working across these different areas and getting to learn about them so like when I was in high school I always thought I was going to be an engineer I don't know why um and then kind of on a whim decided to do arts law instead 
Um, so it's like fun getting to, you know, when I started my first big kind of project that I worked on in disputes was like, I was staring at like blueprints of engineering rooms all day and like trying to figure out specific factual things about this argument we were trying to make. So you get to learn really interesting niche things that you probably never use again in your life, but it's always fun to do. Um, and to just kind of know that you have the skill to pick up something like that, I think is really satisfying. Definitely, yeah. And um, what do you guys wish you knew before starting your positions? Yeah, good question. Um, I would say that I very much turned up to this job thinking like I needed to like hit the ground running. I needed to know everything. Um, I needed to like make a good impression from day one. Um, I thought I knew a lot more than I did. Um, and on reflection, like your first six to 12 months, um, you're just learning. It's all so foreign. Um, like you're effectively being paid to learn. And so once you realize that it's just about like taking on as much as you can. And I am always a little bit skeptical myself about people who like with the grad program here have being able to do the three three different rotations i think is great and i'm always a little bit skeptical of people who do their one rotation and say no i'm done like this is what i'm going to do because i think a you don't know what else is out there um and b what you learn elsewhere will help you no matter what even if what you've done first is you know the greatest thing in the world you will learn so much by having done um different rotations and so I think, yeah, as soon as you realize, like, it's just about learning as much as you possibly can and dipping your toes in as many different areas as possible, um, I think that will carry you a decent part of the way. I think um, similarly, I guess what I would say is, like, it is about learning and it's not just about learning the law like a big part of coming to a firm like this and having this network or working in a team like disputes is that you have at your access like these incredible people and other teams who have done a lot of different things and not just in the law but have a lot to say about you know their careers and can give you a lot of really great advice and part of working here is that you get to take advantage of that and talk to those people and ask them what they think about certain things um and that goes for the work as well you know like everyone is really happy to chat and give you help and i think that's not something that is comfortably available everywhere in a workplace um so i would just say like yeah don't be afraid of like asking for things like that just make sure you're taking all these opportunities because they are available to you definitely for both of you what do you guys find most challenging or rewarding uh, within your role I think as a paralegal, one of like the definitely one of the worst situations is like when you get given a research task and you don't know if what you're looking for just doesn't exist or if you're just bad at your job. Mm, Um, That's that's always like my least favorite feeling, because sometimes you just don't know if the the issue that you're looking at hasn't been litigated before and you guys just might be dealing with something completely new um, or if you just haven't found it yet. I think that's probably my my least favorite thing Mm. Um, in terms of most rewarding. Maybe the opposite of that, honestly. Like when you know, like someone gives you something and asks, like, can you figure this out? And you're like, I know exactly what I'm doing with this. Like I know where I'm going with this. And that's pretty rare because a lot of the times, like we've mentioned, like you're dealing with very new and unknown things. But I'd say that's probably the most rewarding feeling from from my limited scope of work. (laughs) The challenge, I think the challenge for me is um, you're often dealing with quite protracted timelines and disputes. And 
sometimes I find like when you're when you're running with something that's potentially years long, um, it it can be a bit challenging to like stay on that kind of that path, um, and so I find the challenge for me is to like stay stay motivated, stay um, like attentive, um, and stay like keen in my work um, because you are dealing with whereas in sort of in comparison to um, the deals guys that's a lot quicker turnaround um, so that's that's part of the litigation side I find a little bit challenging um, in terms of what I find rewarding um, it's a bit of a nerdy response but I guess similar to Sue like I just I find I find my job generally interesting I find the stuff that I do um, is yeah is challenging but in a good way um it's subject matter that i enjoy like i enjoy the law i enjoy learning new things um and so yeah i i just enjoy different areas of the law i enjoy learning different things um and that's probably why i'm in this team so that's i guess somewhat rewarding i guess maybe um, it's interesting you mentioned the length of cases. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I gather, Wine Case focuses on uh, construction or asset financing, and these cases can go for a long time. Um, what's the longest case you've ever worked? Uh, so we're working on a Supreme Court litigation at the moment, which kicked off uh, in 2019. I think we just hit three years on we that. I mean, I our, haven't been working on it three years. We just, but. <laughs> we just hit our three-year birthday, um, so that was exciting. Um, and we're probably looking at an end of 2023 conclusion. So um, that'll be, yeah, definitely four years um, by the time that reaches a conclusion. Um, there, There's another one um, that I'm working on at the moment which could run, like could run for double that um there's yeah when you're dealing with like pretty complicated issues with a bunch of claims flying around and a lot of money at stake um they can run for a long time yeah and um given the diverse nature of dispute resolutions um has there been any particular case or incident that stands out to you um one case which um i jumped on um in september last year when i joined rejoined the team was sort of settled in the, the disputes team um uh, you may have heard of the tesla big battery in south australia um so that was um that was built by well so our client um neo and built that battery with the help of tesla so um, Musk at the time promised that they would build it in an X number of days, otherwise it would be free. Um, and so our project finance team, I believe, did the project financing of that. Um, and then fast forward through to September last year um, and our client got um, served some breach notices by the Australian energy regulator. Um, so the the big battery had um allegedly breached certain national electricity rules um so long story short it had effectively um and this is all done automatically but the battery had sort of communicated to the market that it could do certain things that it couldn't based on a software update um and so the regulator being um a regulator came knocking and said you know you're in breach 
um, we want to we want to pursue you in proceedings. Um, so we worked with the regulator to reach a commercial resolution and then that got pushed through the federal court. Um, so we had a hearing for that in February um, and that's all f- fully published now. Um, but that was just quite a cool case. Like it was an area of um, like a technical area that I had no experience in um, prior to prior to entering it. Um, like a very technical area as well like the national electricity law is like thousands and thousands of pages long um and the whole kind of renewable energy aspect like these batteries are you'll see are popping up all over the place now um and so it's kind of an it's an area of law that is only going to become more litigious um and so it was just quite a cool dispute like it was in the news, you know, like could send it to mom back home and be like, look, mom, look at what I'm working on. Um, so it was, yeah, it was just a cool dispute to be a part of. Definitely. You've mentioned earlier that uh, if cases go to court, uh, something's gone wrong. Um, how often would you say cases go to hearing? I would say the in, in the work we do, generally a hearing is worst case scenario. Um, our clients generally... I mean, there's obviously exceptions, but herrings equal dollars. Um, and so clients are generally pretty not keen to go that far. Um, that's not to say you don't end up there because often parties are far away from each other and you just have to. Um, but I would say, put it, let me put it like this. I would say the overwhelming majority of clients who are in that we have who are in dispute will want to settle that dispute whether that ultimately ends up happening um depends on a number of factors but there's very few clients we would have that would like to run their case through the trial yeah i mean i don't have anywhere near as much experience as ruben does but i think that's definitely kind of true like you learn that pretty much like first day on the job like that's worst case scenario but I think some of the time we do get clients coming in after proceedings have started or they've been adjoined proceedings or um, had action commenced against them. And so we're having to like hit the ground running knowing that they're going right into court. So it's a bit of a mixed bag. The legal profession has been notoriously bad in the past when it comes to um, work-life balance. Uh, how has your personal experience been in balancing your career and your personal life? I don't know if this is really something that I've had to fully kind of grapple with yet. Like I'm still, I was studying until like two months ago so very much like had my life outside of the office. Um, But I think kind of, you know, working more now and looking to next year, I think what's important is just like to kind of have hobbies and have a life outside of the office. Like I definitely know people who not necessarily here, but who just like don't have things to do when they go home. Um, And I think it's really important to just kind of cultivate a life outside of work and make sure you have other interesting things that you want to spend time on as well. I think that motivates you to keep that balance a little bit. Yeah, I... um i have got yeah i've just got quite big into doing things outside of work so you end up prioritizing um the things that are important in your day-to-day life outside of work so um and this obviously comes with having worked for a bit longer now like you're not probably going to turn up on day one and say like look sorry i've got to you know i've got to duck off for two hours to do whatever in the middle of the day but um having been in the job for a while now um like i live by the beach i try to go to the beach like once or twice a day if i can um i try and exercise 
um, as much as I possibly can. Um, and I think one thing for me though is like I um, I like working in the office. Like I like it from a social perspective, and I think I find that helps me with like the work life even though it's at work obviously it helps with the work-life balance because you're actually getting some of that kind of non-work stuff at work and that's not meant to sound grim or anything but like i like have some very good friends at work um and so i like coming to the office i don't really like just sitting at home working and it's sort of my own little isolated bubble um and so like you end up having that kind of social aspect at work as well like we'll go for dinner and you know sit out for an hour and then if we're working late we'll come back so there's things like that which again are not meant to sound like i'm sort of stuck at my job but it just makes you enjoy your time at at work more cases within this field are often um, high stakes with potential global impact um, how do you handle the stress that comes with dealing with cases of such a high profile nature do you think you're dealing with the stress, Ruben? <laughs> mm, yes, good question. Um, I would say, as a junior, you're pretty uh, you're pretty insulated. Um, would be my first comment. Like you, um, you're not dealing with the sort of the stress of of win or lose. Like that's on the partners, and even then, it's not really on the partners. Um, it's it's a um, it's a price of doing business for a lot of our clients. Like the being in those positions. Um, in saying that, like back to what we were saying before like having having outlets having you exercise having the things you like doing making sure your life is not work um that's the easiest way to de-stress for me i think um obviously it sounds kind of crazy when you throw on some of the numbers that get involved in these matters but ultimately like whatever the scale you're working on i think that's able to that's ultimately going to direct strategy more than kind of change fundamentally the work that you're doing mm. like you still need to deal with the same problems whether it's like a thousand dollar or like a hundred million dollar matter so the nature of the work is still very much the same and while it might be well it might feel more strenuous or high stakes i think like ruben said that's not really a question that we're dealing with it's it's a much more high level strategy kind of thing um at, at you know this point in our careers Definitely. Yeah. And um, one last question to leave us off, but um, do you have any advice for any students or graduates who are currently looking for jobs? The one piece of advice that I got a lot, and I think I just got kind of a bit sick of hearing, but realized was probably really good advice is like, just be enthusiastic, like come into everything with an open mind, like be willing to try things. I think the worst thing that you can do is like to come into a position or to be looking for a position and to close yourself off from options or opportunities. Um, so I think definitely like be enthusiastic, show enthusiasm mm. and just try and like take advantage of all the opportunities that are given to you. Yeah, I think like attitude is just the most important thing. Like I probably wasn't the most like brilliant grad when I turned up, but I think I was pretty keen, you know, and that shows and people like appreciate that. And particularly when you're working for people who are, um, you know, who are busy people, like they they want to sh- they want to see that you care um they want to see that you're interested um and that will carry you a lot further at least in your first few years than being some sort of brilliant academic yeah i think because especially coming out of uni everyone kind of looks the same on paper like as harsh as that is to say so the way you distinguish yourself really it, it is through attitude like ruben said yeah especially at a small place like white and case um it's like our office here is like 45 people it's tiny right so um if you are a dickhead you'll stand out that's yeah. what i would say <laughs> yeah. um, well that about wraps us up 
Uh, thank you very much both for joining thank us you. today. Um, thank you. You guys gave great insights. I feel like this episode will be very helpful. Thank you very much for listening to Insights by the UNSW Law Society. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Thank you.